0: You're listening to the Grace Through Faith weekly podcast. For more information, go to mygtf.org. We hope you enjoy. Okay, if you have your Bibles, if you'll open those up this morning to 2 Chronicles chapter 15, we're going to wrap up the series that I've been in over the month of January titled Press On. And in this series... We've been talking about what it means to press on and to forget what's behind. You know, this is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. He says, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And as we kind of enter into a new year, there's a, there's a really big thing that needs to happen in all of our lives whenever we've struggled such a difficult year like last year, and that's to turn the page. To turn the page, and that doesn't mean that there's not going to be any more difficulties in this year. It just means that we're going to press on with the good thing, the upward call of God of what he wants to do in our lives this year. And in order to do that, we've been talking about how, we've been talking about burdens and how it is that we need to carry our own load. But we've also talked about how we need to develop a press on mindset, how we need to lay aside. If we're going to emerge out of a season of difficulty and step into the next season of glory that God has for us in our life, then we have to develop a press-on mindset like Paul talked about in Philippians chapter 3. And then last week, we talked about how if we're going to press on, we need to press in. And that we needed to listen to Jesus. At the transfiguration, whenever Jesus was transformed right in front of Peter, James, and John, God broke in in that moment and He spoke over Peter's life. He said, this is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. And you and I have to develop an ear tune our ear to hear the spiritual voice of God in our lives. And that is how we're going to step into what God has for us, that upward call of God for us in this season. Well, today what I want to do is I want to talk about sin. So I just want to tell you that right up front. Because I know that as I get into this, there's going to kind of be this thing that that, that you kind of lift up and and you kind of get your guard up. But listen, before I jump into talking about sin, I just want to kind of set the tone as we talk about this. Every person in this room, including myself, struggles with sin. And so I don't want this to be something that you kind of cringe at and that you're defensive about. I want you to kind of let your guard down and let Jesus in because we're all in the same boat. Amen? We're all in this place of going, God, I want to lay hold of the upward, God of co- upward calling of God in my life. But there's sometimes some things that trip us up, right? Does that happen in your life like it happens in my life? It trips us up, and so one of the things that is just a burden on my heart is that if we're going to press on toward God's calling, the good thing that He wants to do in our lives in this season, we're going to have to lay, cast off every hindrance. We're going to have to get rid of every sin that easily ensnares us like the book of Hebrews says. And so this is what I want to do. I want to look at Asa's story. If you look in Second Chronicles chapter 15... And this is kind of the thing, that that, that the word that's on my heart, this is the title of my message today. If we're going to press on towards the upward call of God, then we're going to have to tear down our high places. You and I are going to have to tear down our own high places. And I'll explain to you exactly what I mean by that. But nobody is immune from hearing what I believe God is wanting to say to us today. And so look at, let's look at Asa's story. And if you don't know who Asa is, or you could say Asa, it is, it's either way. But I had a friend in school named Asa, and so I always say Asa. So um, Asa was a king in Israel, specifically in Judah. And he, he was this king that, that emerged, and he, it, it was, his dad was a king, and so obviously he was a prince, he was the next king in line. But he, he instituted major religious reform in the nation of Israel. And he called God's people back to God. And what we're fixing to read is, is, is the story of Asa and this prophet that came and prophesied over his life. But one of the things that I want you to understand that we, we're going to miss in chapter 14 because we're going to pick up in chapter 15 is Asa has already begun to return to the Lord himself and bring the nation of Israel back to the Lord. What he's done is he's begun to tear down the high places in the nation and he has restored the altar in Jerusalem so that worship could begin to happen between the nation and God again because it had stopped now this is what it says in verse 1 of chapter 15 the spirit of god came upon azariah the son of oded who's a prophet and he went out to meet asa and said to him hear me asa and all judah and benjamin the lord is with you While you are with him, if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel was without without the true God and without a teaching priest and without the law. But when in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. In those times there was no peace to him who went out Or to him who came in, for great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. They were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city. For God troubled them with every sort of distress. But you take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Verse 8 says, And as soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah the son of Oded... He took courage and put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities that he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule of the house of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who were, de- who were residing with them for great numbers... "...had deserted to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord, his God, was with him. They were gathered at Jerusalem in the third month of the um, the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa, and they sacrificed to the Lord on the day from the spoil that they had brought 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all of their hearts." And with all of their soul. But whatever or whoever rather. Would not seek the Lord the God of Israel. Should be put to death. Whether young or old. Man or woman. They swore an oath to the Lord. With a loud voice. And with shouting. And with trumpets. And with horns. And all Judah rejoiced over the oath. For they had sworn with all of their heart. And had sought him with their whole desire. And he was found by them. And the Lord gave them rest all around. Now, here's the thing that I want you to see as we kind of read this this passage of Scripture. I know that was a long passage of Scripture, but this is a profound moment in the nation of Israel's history. Because one of the things that you see is as this prophet comes, he makes a prophetic declaration over Asa's life and the nation of Judah, but he also gives a promise. And he says this, if you seek him, he will be found by you. That's something that you and I can put our faith in today. And as 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 the prophetic words and the ministry was happening from the platform after worship this morning was a reminder to you of that, it doesn't matter what you've done and how you've failed. It doesn't matter what sin issue you struggle with. If you seek God, He will be found by you. He's not hiding, He's not elusive. And he's not rejecting you because of what you've done. He is eagerly desiring for you to turn away from your idols and from your sin and turn to him and you will find God. Now, as Asa hears this word, he begins to reform the nation. He tears down their high places and he begins to to call the nation of Israel back to the place of worship and he repairs the altar of God. So what are these high places that he tore down? Because if you want to press on into the upward calling of God in your life in this season, you're going to have to tear down your own high place. You may have more than one. And one of the things that I want you to see in this is these were real places, but it serves as a reminder to you and I today of the spiritual truth that was practiced in Nasa's day. Is that if they were going to seek God to the place where they found God... They were going to have to sacrifice some things and they were going to have to change some things. See, the high places in Israel were literally that. They were the high places. They were the hilltops and the mountain summits. And whenever you would climb a, a, a mountain or you would, you would um, travel and you were at, a, at the top of a hill, typically you would find an altar that was there for worship. And typically that altar was erected to an idol. And so you might find a statue there, and, you, and in that place you would make sacrifices to foreign gods, not Yahweh, not the God of the nation of Israel, because he declared that there would only be one place that they would offer sacrifices to him, and that was the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem in the temple. And so these high places that Asa was beginning to tear down were literally that, they were altars that were built to other gods besides their God. And as they began to tear these altars down, basically what they were recognizing is that Israel, they had taken the worship of God away from him because it had stopped and given it to somebody else. Now, Now, you you and I, we don't make sacrifices like that, do we? Praise God. There has been one sacrifice for all time that was made 2,000 years ago and He is this pure, spotless Lamb of God. And so you and I don't have to make sacrifices anymore because the propitiation that washed our sin away has already been done. It is finished. So we don't have to do that anymore. But listen, nonetheless, like like this, this is a spiritual thing that Asa and the nation of Israel is doing in order to realign their life Realign their hearts and realign their worship with the true God. And so, as you think about this, these high places in the nation of Israel became an indicator. If you read through the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles, you're just going to see the history of king after king after king. And one of the things that you'll begin to see is this rhythm that happens in the nation of Israel's history. They would have a king that was set in like King David who was a man after God's own heart. And God's blessing was on the nation because of David, the king. But then there would come another king, and he would do evil in the sight of the Lord. And he would stray away from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the covenant of Israel. And he would begin to worship other idols. David's son was the first one that began that, Solomon. And he would begin to allow his heart to be divided And as his heart strayed from the Lord, the nation began to stray from the Lord and God's blessing was removed. Difficult times happened whenever the kings, the rulers of the nation of Israel did not serve the Lord with their whole heart and did not lead the nation into a place of serving them. They would build high places and they would begin to worship other idols, idols, other other gods, gods, and then then they would would stop stop offering worship worship to God that that he asked for. Now, here's my question, and then we'll kind of move into some more practical things. How many of you would be okay with your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend stepping out on you and dating somebody else? Oh, I just got uncomfortable. Nobody, right? I know that there's some people in this day and age that that's kind of an acceptable thing, but I would suggest to you that it's not a natural thing to be acceptable Because the first thing that you start thinking about is if I married my spouse, that's kind of an exclusive relationship, isn't it? I should be getting a lot more amens right now. (laughs) It's a really exclusive relationship. And so, whenever you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or even in the case where you're married and your spouse begins to love another, there's a huge breach. Would you not agree? It's no different in our relationship with God. Now listen. Remember the tone that we set. Every single person in this room has done this. We've all done it. We've all allowed our heart to stray from God from time to time, haven't we? We've all allowed our passion for Him, our worship for Him, to sometimes get misdirected into another place, into another person, into another thing and activity. Would you agree with that? Here's the point of what I want to make today. Is that if you and I want to advance into the upward calling of God in our lives, we've got to tear down our high places. We need to return to the Lord. That's what God's asking of us. There's no condemnation in that. This is just a truth reminder for you and I that our heart has to be undivided. Now here's why this is important. Because God has called us to follow Him with our whole heart with everything. See, God isn't like Hindu gods. I, I told you this a couple Sundays ago, and uh, you know, I don't know if you paid attention to the news, but we opened up this session of Congress and we prayed to a Hindu god. Our congressman did. But God's not like Hindu gods. See, Hindu, the, the Hindu religion is all about pantheism, meaning there's all kinds of gods. And just worship them all. But you know, the God of the Bible... He says that he's jealous, and he's jealous for this. He wants all of you, and he doesn't want to share you with anybody else. This is an exclusive relationship. As a matter of fact, Jesus was the same way. He said that he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. This is a really big tenet of the Christian faith, is that there is no other God that you can divide your worship from God above. And this is something that, that you have to get settled within you, because if you don't, you're going to misunderstand God and His truth. See, this is an exclusive relationship, and He's asked for all of you. Not part of you. Not a fraction of you. All of you. This is what it says. I'll, I'll put these scriptures up on the, on the screen for you. But this is what wholehearted devotion looks like and this is what God is asking for. This is Yahweh in the Old Testament right before and when he's giving Moses the 10 commandments. He says this in Exodus chapter 20, "I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You will have no other gods before me. None. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above, heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water." Under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I want you and I want all of you. Why? I feel like, this is just my feeling, God feels like He has rights to you. He created you, He knits you together, as Psalm 139 says, in your mother's womb. He created you, very special and very unique, and He feels like that you are His. And he wants to call his back to him. And that's what he's doing in as he's giving the, the Ten Commandments and he's revealing for the very first time himself to the nation of Israel as their God. And one of the things that he gets out straight out of the way is like, hey, listen, this is an, ex- an exclusive relationship. This is something that I'm not going to share you with anyone else. Marriage is the best picture of your relationship with God. It's not meant to be shared. Your worship is very, very holy and special. Your heart, the seat of your emotions, your intellect, your soul is something that God wants for Himself only. And He doesn't want to share it with anybody else. He is the only one worthy for that to be given to. This is what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 22. Love the Lord your God with all, with everything not part of, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, all of this, hang on these two commandments. Love the Lord, your God, with everything and love your neighbor just like you would love yourself. If you do that, You're going to live a life that's pleasing to God. But here's the reality. Sometimes we have a hard time with it. Sometimes we allow our heart to be divided. Sometimes we get selfish. I do. And sometimes we stray, just like the nation of Israel did, over and over and over again. We stray from the Lord and we get off track. And whenever we do that... One of the things that we have to come back to is have a moment of realignment with God where we say, God, I've allowed my heart to begin to to, to give my passion, to give my love, and to give my best to other things besides you. And you begin to repent and tear down those high places. See, like the nation of Israel, you and I sometimes get away from our faith, don't we? It becomes lesser of a priority. And especially in this season where, where we were coming out of with COVID, when everybody's trying to social distance, it was just hard sometimes to stay connected as a church, right? And in it, it, this is to me, there is there's just this understood thing that this is going to happen. This is something that we're going to be struggling with, obviously. Whenever our hearts can't come together. I don't know about you, but There are moments in my life whenever I recognize, God, I'm not giving you my best. I'm just kind of going through the motions. And if that's where you find yourself right now, this is an opportunity to tear down your high places. Have you stopped worshiping God and started worshiping another? Now, I know a lot of us would say, well, maybe I've gotten a little off track in my faith, but I haven't started, you know, worshiping idols. Maybe that's true, but you're halfway there. See, whenever we allow our worship to God to become misdirected, we're halfway there to idolatry. See, one of the things that happened with the nation of Israel that we just read is they allowed the altar of God to be broken down, meaning it didn't get used. It was in disrepair. And so they stopped that. But then there's this thing that you and I have to confront. Worship is going to happen in your life, whether you realize it or not. You were created to worship, and you will always worship. The only thing that changes is the object of your affection. Do you agree with that? Okay, let me, let me just kind of illustrate this for you. God created you to worship. And whenever I'm not directing my worship to God, it gets directed to hobbies, relationships. It gets directed to other activities that distract from time to time, career. Now, none of those things are bad. Those are amoral. Those are not good or bad, right? Some of the objects, I'll I'll give you uh, one of the, the hobbies that I love is fishing. The other one is golf. But those things can become unhealthy in my life if they get elevated to a place that they're not supposed to be, amen? They're amoral. They're not good. They're not bad. They're actually good for you if you use them correctly. But if you do not put them in the right and proper place, they can be something that's a stumbling stone. You were created to worship, and you're going to do it no matter what. Who is the object of your affection? Now, I know that all of us have strayed. All of us have struggled with idolatry in one form or another. So I want to talk this morning about whenever you find yourself in that place of being stuck, how to get out. I read you this verse a couple of weeks ago whenever we first started this series, and it's in Galatians chapter 6. I'm just gonna read you one verse of this. But Paul says this. He says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, but keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted as well. I want you to think about that because there's a really interesting word that's in that passage, caught. All of us have struggled with transgression, but there's this, 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 this thing that Paul says. He says, but whenever you find yourself caught in a transgression, that word caught means to overtake someone before they can flee or conceal a crime. Have you ever been caught with your hand in the cookie jar? I literally have this memory of being at my grandma's house, and I got my hand caught in the cookie jar. It was one of those moments where, you know, you weren't supposed to have a snack because dinner was just on the way, and she had those sugar cookies. I don't know if you remember these, but they had the little hole, and they had like big big sugar for, for like a five-year-old, that big sugar. Can I have that other mic, please? I'm going to just go ahead and switch to that. Whenever, you were, whenever I was five, it's like that sugar looked like big nuggets, right? They looked really good. And so I can remember... Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Being at my grandmother's house... Sorry, that's a lot louder. I can remember being at my grandma's house and her saying, "Hey, supper's going to be ready in a little while." And she had this, you know, porcelain jar with cookies. And I can remember sneaking in there and and five year olds think they're sneaky, but they're not, right? And so I can remember I, I don't remember everything, but I had this vague memory of sticking my hand in the cookie jar and getting it out and like getting a little bit of a taste before I took a bite. And she came around the corner and said, "What are you doing?" And that moment where I was just like caught. Right, But that's not what this word is talking about. What it's talking about is not getting caught in the act, it's getting trapped in the transgression. See, one of the things that I was doing with that cookie is that cookie looked better to me than obedience. And there's something that happens whenever sin begins to creep in in your life, and it moves from temptation and desire to action. And whenever you act on temptation, that becomes a transgression against God or whoever else, right? But there's something that happens with sin. It's sticky. You know what I mean? Sometimes whenever you flirt with sin and you dip your toe in sin, it grabs you. And that's what this word is talking about. Is that compulsion that whenever you step into a transgression, it's got you and you can't get out. It's actually a word that's better probably visualized by a mousetrap. The mouse wants the cheese, and it didn't just get caught by grandma and say, hey, what are you doing? It got snapped. And listen, sin is deadly. The enemy comes only for one, for one of three reasons, to steal, kill, or destroy. That's it. He doesn't want to be your friend. He doesn't want to bargain with you. He wants to ruin you. He wants to ruin your family. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to make sure that you can never get a job again. And all of those things are something that sin can do whenever it sticks and you get caught. Now, listen to this verse again with that context. Brothers, if anyone here is caught in a transgression, let you who are spiritual, you should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, this is supposed to be a place of healing. It's supposed to be a place where we can bear one another's burdens. We talked about that a few weeks ago and that's actually the exact thing that Paul starts talking about after this verse. This is supposed to be a house where we can aid one another in walking our faith out. And one of the things that God has called us to do is to recognize whenever we're dr- we're struggling with sin issues and come alongside you who are spiritual here, help. Don't condemn Don't shame, help restore. In so doing, you fulfill the law of Christ. That's what Paul says next, that we bear one another's burdens. And whenever you see somebody who's caught in a transgression, that you don't turn a blind eye to it. You don't shame them. You don't go punch them in the face and push them down further into the trap. You say, hey, can I help you out of that? Now, a lot of times people who are caught in traps, they don't respond very well, do they? And if you've been burned like I've been burned, sometimes it makes you pick up this attitude. like, well, I ain't helping nobody like that anymore. But this is what we're called to. The ministry of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is the the gospel of Christ, is that sin is a really big deal. And it's preventing us from stepping into the thing that God wants for our lives. And we are called to minister freedom. We are called to minister forgiveness. We're called to reconcile men with God and men with men, each other. That's the ministry of reconciliation that we have been given. Now, as you step into a place of committing yourself to getting free from sin, let me tell you how to do that, okay? Because you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And I speak that as a pastor I've tried to help a lot of people, and if you don't want to be helped, you're not going to get out of it. This is what Jesus taught you. If you are caught in transgression today, and I'm speaking to you if you're in that place, this is how Jesus told you to respond to it. Now, we as a church, we just talked about how we're supposed to respond to it. It is to restore, it is to help. It is to restore in a spirit of gentleness. But you, if you're, whenever you find yourself caught, trapped in transgression, this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two, than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into eternal fire. Now, let me just kind of clean that up because that just made some of y'all cringe. Jesus isn't ag- advocating for you to cut off your hand. Okay? This, is, this is a, 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 a pneumatic device that, that sometimes you use to get people to go, wow, that's really radical. And that's the point. Not that you should cut off your hand or cut off your foot. What Jesus is saying is, hey, if you find yourself in a trap, in a transgression that you're caught in, get aggressive with it fight for your life. Declare war on it. Get rid of it. See, a lot of times what we do, our approach, I'm just speaking for me, and, and, and maybe this doesn't affect you, but whenever I have a sin issue that I'm dealing with, I try to play patty cake with it, right? Do you do that? Okay, I'm the only one, all right. I'm the only one being honest today. That's really what's going on. One of the things that we do is whenever we know that we're struggling with a transgression that is not pleasing to God and it's hindering us from moving forward in our walk with him, we just try to, you know, deal with it a little bit. We try to get better at it rather than removing it from our life. Rather than getting rid of it. There has been seasons in my life whenever God has called me to remove activities and habits from my life that were not harmful for other people. Have you ever experienced that? whether that be watching movies or other things, where it's like, I know that I know that I know that I can't do that right now because it's causing me to sin. And then there's been other seasons whenever God has restored that because I was able to walk in purity. See, what Jesus says is, if you you find that your hand causes you to sin, get rid of your hand. It would be better for you to not have a hand And there was a season in my life whenever it's like the movies that I was watching was really causing my mind to be divided from God's truth. And I knew that I had to move that out. And I would tell somebody, I can remember, this was one of uh, mine and April's deals whenever we first got married. It's like, we didn't go watch rated R movies. And we would tell people that and they'd be like, y'all are weird. And we're like, we need to do this. We were literally trying to clean up a ton of sin in our life because we had just got saved. But I can remember, we kind of came to this conundrum whenever The Passion of the Christ came out. You remember that? First Christian movie that was rated R. (laughs) And I was like, well, am I going to go see this movie or not? And I'm like... (sighs) Listen, I'm giving you that as an example to show you just the reality of what Jesus is talking about. Whenever you're ready to change something in your life, you'll get radical with it. It won't change until you get serious. And so if if you find yourself caught in the place of transgression, you have to declare war on that thing. Get rid of it completely. It would be better for you to not have Facebook than let Facebook lead you into sinful activities. Amen? And there may be a season in the future whenever you step into a place of spiritual maturity where God says, hey, you can have this back. But it would be better for you to be weird to the world and walk in purity than to let it plunge you into a trap. Here's my thing that I want to land on, and we're going to to pray. Is this where you find yourself right now? If you want to step into a new thing with God in 2021, you are going to need to pick up your own burden and carry your own burden. You're going to need to develop a press-on mindset where you put aside the thing of the past and you, you reach forward to the upward call of God. You're going to need to, like we talked about last week, press in so that you can hear the voice of the Lord and have that intimacy with him again. But listen, you're also going to have to tear down your high places. You're going to have to address the the passion of your heart and go, God, are you really number one in my life right now? Because that's the only seat that he wants to be in in your life. He doesn't want to be number two and he doesn't want to be number five. Behold, I am the Lord, your God. There shall be no other gods before me. None. If you would stand with me this morning. We're going to take communion. I'm going to pray something over you as we do that. And give you an opportunity to respond. But if you need communion elements, if you didn't grab those on the way in, just raise your hand. We have some ushers that would... I'd love to get those to you. If you're watching with us at home, go ahead and grab some juice and some crackers, and and please join us in communion. I would love for you to be a part of that with us and to participate in that. As we celebrate communion, I want to walk you through this this week you take the wafer once you get that. The body of Christ was broken for you. As we were commanded to, by by Christ, as he implemented communion, he said, do this and remember of me. And, and as you take the wafer and, and you break it, you remember that he was literally torn and ripped to shreds for your provision of healing. By his stripes, you're healed. And so listen, if you're here today And you need God to touch your life in such a way where he puts things back together. He takes the broken pieces of some of the things that we've even done to ourselves and some of the things that have happened to us. Jesus is the one who can put the broken pieces back together. God, we thank you for that and we recognize it. And I pray for every single person who's here today that is broken and needs a touch from you that need healing in their bodies, God that need healing in their finances, in their relationships. Jesus, would you be the healing power in their life right now, in Jesus' name? You'll just take that breath. I want to focus on the cup, and I want to read a passage of Scripture over you. Because I want to give you an opportunity that if you're in a place today where you're caught in transgression, as I was talking about tearing down your high places, you know, that there's some altars that are in your life where you are worshiping something else besides God. This is your opportunity to tear them down. God's going to call you to do some things once you leave this place and once you leave this moment, but this is the opportunity to repent before the Lord and return to Him. And this is good news because this is what Psalm 103 says. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He says that over your life today slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. That's great news. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Listen, the breach in your relationship with God can be removed today. As you take your sin before the Lord, listen, he will not deal with you in a way that you deserve to be dealt with. He gives you better than you deserve. He actually gives you the grace and the mercy that you don't deserve. It's so odd that he's that kind, that he's that merciful, that he's that forgiving, but that's who God is. See, that's, the re- that's one of the reasons that he feels like he has a claim on your life because he's the best thing that's ever happened to us. He's worthy to be God in your life. He's worthy to be number one in your life. And so if you have something, I just, I, all of us today, To just lay down at the feet of Jesus and return to the Lord. I want you to just begin to to offer that to Him. In your mind, in your heart, just begin to confess that before Him today. And Father, we just come to you and we ask that you would wash. That you would wash us clean. That you would help us, give us the strength to return to you with everything that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll take the cup, Pastor Bo and the worship team is going to lead us in worship.